Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. I don't know if your experience is the same as mine, um, but uh, I've been a disciple of Jesus for uh, to greater or lesser degrees for most of my life. Um, and it's probably not the big stuff that sidelines me anymore. Um, if, does that make sense? It's not massive sins. It's not uh, a catastrophic failure. Uh, and, and if you've been a, a disciple of Jesus for any, you know, probably six months to a year, you've probably figured out how to negotiate uh, some of that away, if you will. But where it is problematic for me is in the distractions, in the, the one thing after another, in the one more thing, in uh, the, little, the little stuff, right? And the, the, the load that you're being asked to carry or the things that you've picked up along the way that you think you need and pretty soon you're running the race l- loaded down with things that you've picked up, with things that other people have put on you, with uh, various responsibilities and tasks and uh, sometimes even um, uh, uh, um, relationships that you're working as hard as you possibly can to maintain dozens of relationships and realizing that if you don't initiate anything, nobody ever calls you, right? And you start to wonder, well, why am I all of this wheel spinning in relationship and, and, and there's no real relationship, right? Uh, or, or all kinds of tasks and, and, and various other kinds of responsibilities that are just exhausting and fun. pretty soon you find yourself you don't have any margin you don't have any space to breathe you don't you're just constantly spiritually and otherwise uh, worn out does that sound at all like anybody um, here's here's both good news and bad news uh, here's the good news there will always be enough time and resource uh, and energy to do everything that Jesus is asking you to do. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. There will not always be enough time and energy and resource to do everything that Jesus is asking you to do and everything that everybody else is asking you to do and everything else that you want to do. So if, when you look in the mirror of your soul, which we'll do a little bit later on this morning, you find yourself without enough energy to do what your life is requiring, you feel like your life is just out of control, there's not enough resource, there's not enough time, just feels like you're running, running, running constantly, and never, it's the treadmill that's going faster, you're turning into a cartoon character of wheel spinning, it's possible that you're doing stuff that Jesus hasn't asked you to do. Because he's not going to empower your crazy. He's not going to empower you for stuff that gets in the way 
of you doing what he's actually asking you to do. How many of you know it's possible to hide from God in serving God? It's possible to hide from God in serving other people. It's possible to say yes so many times to so many different requests that you can't possibly do them all. And sooner or later, your yes becomes meaningless because people have already learned you're a flake. And it's not because you're a flake. It's that you've said yes to do many things and you can't do them all with the skill or commitment or ability that you would like to, even though you want everybody to be happy with you. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning, back in our reflection on spiritual disciplines. As Pete um, mentioned, we've been in this conversation for the last few, uh, few months. And uh, during this summer season, when Darren's on sabbatical, uh, and I'm here, he's asked me to kind of Every once in a while, just focus back on this just to continue this conversation a little bit. And so we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of enough. The spiritual discipline of simplicity. The spiritual discipline of no. So that your yeses make meaning. Does that make make sense? Um, and, and the reason we're, we're remembering these disciplines are not effective in and of themselves, but they create space for the Holy Spirit to produce the life of Christ in us, which is the whole game that we're playing. That's the whole aim of, of our lives. So when we think about training for responsible freedom, when we think about training for shalom, for life as it was meant to be lived, which is what shalom means, uh, for a life of wholeness and integrity, it becomes quickly clear that we need to learn some muscle memory that will enable wholeness, that will enable shalom, whether it's in relationships or time or money uh, or possessions or obligations or commitments. We need to um, uh, train ourselves to, to edit, uh, to provide what we'll, we'll call margin so that there is meaning in what remains. And of course, we follow Jesus who knew very um, clearly how to do this. I think it's clear to say uh, that there was always more for Jesus to do than he actually did. There were sick people that he didn't heal. There were dead people that he didn't rise from the dead. There were folks who wanted to be taught he didn't teach. Are you okay with that? Because if you're not, then you won't be okay with you hearing Jesus say to you, yes for this and no, no, no for this. The reason Jesus could do that without anxiety is because he didn't need people to like him. He had the voice of his father echoing in his ears, you are my beloved son, I'm proud of you, I'm pleased with you, I take delight in you. And out of that delight, out of that love, Jesus could then serve those whom the father was serving. He could heal those whom the father in the moment was healing. He could raise from the dead those whom the Father was raising from the dead because his relational tank, if you will, 
with the Father was completely full and he could give out of the overflow without loss. This is the difference, I think, between a mature disciple of Jesus and one who is maturing. The maturing disciple of Jesus functions like a channel and everything that comes in from the grace and goodness of God flows out immediately to meet need. And that sounds good until you contrast it with what, how Jesus actually lived. He lived not as a channel, but as a reservoir. He filled up with the love, goodness, grace, glory, and goodness of God. And then out of the overflow, provided resource for those whom he was invited into uh, partnership with by God. So the resource of the reservoir never diminishes while ministry. The resource of the channel is always diminished because it's always giving out what it receives. And that's Bernard of Clairvaux, if you're interested in, in, in where that's, that, the source of that illustration comes from, but I found it tremendously helpful to think about this business of simplicity, especially in a culture in which we spend most of our lives conjugating three verbs, to have, to do, and to want. To have, to do, and to want. Think about how much of our energy, how much of our life is spent with those three verbs defining how our days are spent. To have, to do, to want. The contrast with this is what uh, St. John of the Cross, the guy whose poem, Dark Night of the Soul, has been transformative for many of you, uh, in which he says the spiritual life of the, the, the mature spiritual life is one that's characterized by these three words, tranquility, gentleness, great strength, tranquil. Would that be a word that you would use to describe your inner being? Gentle. Does anger, is anger the primary way in which you accomplish outcomes? Or is there a gentleness to the way you manage your life? And great strength. That's anchored deeply. Do you see what we're after here? Um, and and, and I, I need to say that this is an area in which I am still trying to learn. Uh, my insecurities bubble up on a fairly consistent basis. And I want so much for people to like me. And I want so much for people to understand me. And I want so much for people to agree with me. That I find myself stretched thin. That I find myself... Uh, 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 constantly grabbing uh, and so this is for me as much as it is for you. So the disciplines again that train us for this kind of kingdom shalom the, the, the disciplines of freedom uh, uh, focus on simplicity. The discipline enough of enough. The discipline of enough time enough tasks relationships commitments, possessions, resources, activities. In a culture of excess, like we live in now, especially in, in Southern California, 
In a culture of excess, simplicity will save your life. And, and if I can use the word literally in the way that it's actually supposed to be used, it will literally save your life in a culture of excess. Um, when we use this language, when we think about simplicity, I want you to realize that our Father knows the kinds of persons we are. So it ought not be surprising that he has, from the get-go, modeled for us this kind of simplicity. In fact, one of the theological um, terms to describe God is simple. He's singular. He is one. There is no shadow of turning in him. Uh, and, and so out of the character of the Father, we want to learn how to live our lives. Here's a few texts that, that we, we, we want to look at. The first one um, uh, that, that we put on here is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Keep it set apart. Why? We talked about this with John Mark Homer here a few months ago, and I, it's been a regular theme for us. Sabbath is a way, just underlining it again, of taking one day and seventh, one seventh of your week and setting it apart from doing of work. It injects, it, it, it injects a, a margin, a space in there. Please notice that this is not the first one in these 10 words that frames this. Back at the beginning, how many gods do we get to have? Just one. How many, how many images of that God should we litter our houses with? None. Why? Because you're the image of God. That's why he says, don't make graven images. God is not diminished when we make graven images. We are distracted by our graven images from the true image, which is us. That's why when Jesus holds up that coin and is asked by the guy in the marketplace, what do we do with this coin, with this, with this tax on, whose, uh, on, on uh, whose image is it that's on that coin? It's Caesar's image. Remember the story? So Jesus says what? Give to Caesar what bears Caesar's image, but give to God what bears God's image. See what he's doing there. You don't, you don't get to have multiple gods. And this, is, this was revolutionary in the culture in which Jesus, uh, excuse me, in which Moses speaks this. In fact, it's a polemic against the multiplying numbers of gods of the ancient Near East, Babylon, Egypt, uh, Acadia, all, all and on and on. Uh, multiple, hundreds of gods of one kind or another. And Moses is... Is, 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 is giving us a gift. God is giving us a gift through Moses when it says, no, just, just, just one. You don't have to remember us all because there aren't any other us's. Just one. Simple. Remember a Sabbath day, one day and seven. And here's, here's, the, here's the beauty of this. He knows us so well. Remember these 10 words are intended to be ways of love. This is what it looks like for you to love yourself and to love God and to love your neighbor. Can you guess 
what is the primary way by which we break all of the other nine commandments? It's number 10, which starts this way. Don't want stuff, period. Anybody just frustrated by that? Because we are told, aren't we? That that's how you get ahead. We want more spiritual experiences, and so we become spiritually greedy. We want more possessions, and so we become purveyors of boatloads of things that we don't need that our neighbor has. Don't let Jesus, because Jesus echoes this as well. Paul echoes this as well, but here's God right back at the beginning. Don't let what somebody else has form your shopping list. We recognize, of course, that the economy of Orange County, Los Angeles County, would completely collapse without coveting. <laughs> but it is not for that reason a good reason to covet. Especially when our possessions quickly become our fragmentation. How many of you have noticed that everything you buy requires you to do something with it? Everything, has anybody ever really actually discovered a time-saving device that is promising to save you time? Most of the things that are new and improved aren't. So, so Moses says, God says through Moses, look, turn your wanter way down. And don't let what somebody else has define what it will take to make you happy. What it will take to make you content. Jesus uh, picks this up and, and takes it one step further. And he says this. Don't say anything more than yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I'm just going to let that sit there for just a second. Because this is so far from sometimes how I live. I want everybody to understand the wisdom of my no. When I say to them no, I want by my voluminous explanation, them to agree that there's no possible answer other than no to this one. In fact, I will keep talking until I interpret their nodding off as to nodding in acquiescence. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> Do you see? Now, what's that about? What that's about is not being solid enough and secure enough in my identity and belovedness in the Father that I need you to vote on whether God's right about me. Anybody else feel the twitch there? So Jesus is saying, even in your speech patterns, James makes the point, his little brother makes the point that in much words, many words, there is much sin. And his strategy is to say what's true and then stop talking. This is revolutionary in a culture of verbose I was going to say some other things, but I'm not going to. Verbosity. We'll just leave it at right there. 
because my f mind is flashing to the political conventions. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, 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 and Jesus' strategy for simplicity is if you don't lie, you don't have to remember what lie you told to whom. Say, what's true? Simplicity trumps, oh dear, I did it. Um, simplicity overcomes duplicity. It's not good. It don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't, don't. This would be an appropriate time to boo. Um, so the discipline of enough words, the discipline of having a thought and not speaking it, the discipline of considering the landing of your words so that they are, Paul's language, edifying, building up. Because here's the hard thing. A friend of mine spoke this last week and it just echoes in my heart. While in the United States of America you have freedom of speech, you need to remember you're not a citizen of the United States of America. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You don't have freedom of speech. He gets to weigh in on what you weigh in on. So if you're kneecapping people in your Facebook posts, <laughs> cut it out. Do you, do you see? Simplicity says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, Paul goes on and unpacks this a little bit further uh, in this next one where, oh, no, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm still on him for a minute, um, where he says later on in that same, same section, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What he's got here in mind, just before we go on, is um, an ancient Near Eastern understanding that what happened was that light came into the body through the eyes. And what enabled maximum light inside was a singular focus outside. So when it talks about uh, your eyes being healthy, he's saying where both eyes are focused on the same thing. An eye that is unhealthy is when one eye is focused on one thing and the other eye is focused on another thing. And clearly this is not just about physical uh, uh, focus, it's about heart focus, isn't it? In fact, Jesus will go on to say, if the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now look at how he explains this. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And remember, for Jesus, money is, while that's an accurate, somewhat accurate translation, the idea here is not dollars and cents. It's the whole system of, of what we will probably better call mammon the material worldview that we live in. How many recognize that if one eye is focused on God and serving and pleasing the kingdom of God and the other eye is focused on pleasing and serving the kingdom of this world, you're going to end up in the ditch somewhere. You're going to get torn apart because you can't do or be in two places at once. So, so one of the things that we have to think about is when we spend our money, in what are we investing? Are we trying to anchor ourselves solidly and securely in the kingdom of this world? 
Or are we aware that the thing that will be permanent is the kingdom of the heavens? Now, it's not that you don't need to take care of, 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 of family and food and so on and so forth. It's just that that can't become a priority on the same level as the kingdom of God. Because you're going to be torn in half. You're going to be split down the middle. How many feel the pull? Okay? So here's Jesus' strategy. Don't worry about your life. Easy for you to say. Yeah, it was easy for him to say. For somebody who had begun his journey by surrendering all, this makes the only thing that makes sense. Does that make sense? What will you eat? What will you drink? About your body, what will you wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now we know this. So why do we still stack up massive amounts? Our garbage disposals eat better than two-thirds of the world. Our closets have clothes that we remember wearing once. And Jesus is saying, do you realize what you're doing? You're storing up for yourselves treasures. And that's where your heart is stuck. Here's his strategy. Single focus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Because he wants us to understand God knows you need clothes. He knows you need food. He knows you need shelter. How does he know that? Because he made you. He knows that. It's just that if you try and take care of that at equal levels as you try and serve him in the kingdom, you're going to get torn apart with anxiety and worry. So uh, the simplicity of it is the discipline, uh, the discipline of enough. Uh, now back to this passage or to, onto this passage that I referred to from Paul. He says this in Philippians, I, I, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Please notice, that's the context of that last verse. We'd like to pull that last phrase out, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? Please notice the context in which that occurs is having learned contentment. Learned the discipline of enough. Learned that it is foolish to expect my life to give me what I am supposed to be giving my life. Here's what I mean. How many of us are counting on our job or on our relationships or on our possessions or on our hobbies to bring meaning and fulfillment and happiness and joy to us. All of those things are going away. Every relationship you have, every possession you have, every job you have, everything, it is not their responsibility to bring meaning to you. It is your responsibility to bring meaning to them. You are the only thing that will last forever. 
You bring meaning to your job. You bring meaning and significance to relationships. You bring value to your time. Does that make sense? And the only way we can get there, if, if I'm understanding this correctly, is by editing our life to the place where we can actually show up where we are. Creating of margin. Uh, you know what margin is. If you, if you, if you write a paper um, and, uh, or read a book, it's margin, the white space that makes meaningful the letters and the print that are on it. In fact, there are people that go to school in graphic design to learn how to, how to calculate margins so that the greatest impact is communicated with the, pro, with, the, with the picture or with the words on the page. There's a thoughtfulness in the poet's way of thinking as to where the words occur in the blank margin that gives them meaning. Richard Swenson, a few years ago, medical doctor, wrote a book called Margin in which he just suggested that we probably have more clothes than we need. We probably have more commitments than we can possibly fulfill. We probably have more possessions than we have capacity to manage. And the only way forward is margin for health. Right? So... So he, he is in, 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 a, a inviting us into this alignment of the inner life and the outer life with a single, simple focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Creating that margin, submission, if you will, to calm over chaos. Part of the discipline of simplicity is the sub-discipline of frugality of living beneath your means. And I know here at the Garden we've had uh, you know, Financial Peace University, and we'll do that again. But the goal of those kinds of money management systems is to realize that money can't be managed if you are unmanageable. In my marriage and pre-marriage conversations with people, I discovered money is one of the top two reasons people say for divorce. Guess what? It's never about money. Money is simply a metric of values. It's a collision of values. Usually one of the people in the marriage values freedom and the other person in the marriage values security. You see? So what's the single, simple focus? By the way, frugality is not stinginess. You don't save so that you don't have to depend on anybody. In fact, frugality is what enables the generosity of life. Because Jesus didn't say yes to everybody, he was constantly interruptible. His schedule was not so jam-packed with one appointment after another that when a 12-year-old girl was sick, he couldn't immediately run to her rescue and on the way be interrupted by a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. Candidly, I would probably schedule that off to Tuesday or Wednesday. He had margin. I don't always.
Do you see what I'm after here? Uh, you don't get opportunities with your kids if you're constantly hauling them to one thing after another to have conversations that only occur when you're sitting around doing nothing. This is why the, the, the whole smartphone uh, uh, addiction is massive. And by smartphone, I'm just including all of our ways of distraction that we carry around in our pockets. I mean, I can get lost in, 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 in like my 83,000th level of candy crush. <laughs> I've got to get it done. No, I can't talk to you right now. Stop talking. You're interrupting me. I'm just about there. One more brown. <sighs> How many times can you play solitaire before you realize, I'm not that smart? <laughs> or... But do you, do, do, do you know? What, what are we doing? We're distracting ourselves from our own lives. Please notice a lot of our possessions are about addiction, about medicating pain. In the West, can I just also suggest that simplicity is a matter of justice? When in order for me to have more than I need, because somebody I don't know and probably don't like very much told me that I needed it, and I have to build bigger barns and bigger closets, and I have to, number one expansion industry right now in the Western United States is self-storage facilities. I, I need more space for my stuff. I, 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 I just need more stuff. Why? Why? My sister and her husband have decided after a number of years living in the house that they're living in, their last child left um, uh, uh, earlier this year, that it was time to... to uh, she's a hoarder. She takes after my dad. My dad, when he died, had every letter that Billy Graham had ever sent him. He had a collection of used staples. So my sister and her husband decided the way to do this was for her to edit his stuff and for him to edit her stuff. She discovered that she had 105 knitted blankets which, if you're in a small village in northern Alaska, makes all kinds of sense. <laughs> but if you're not, that might be a tad too many. <laughs> How many pairs of shoes can one person wear at a time? How many suits can one person wear at a time? How many guitars can one person play at a time? Oh, that was the wrong way to go. And on and on the list goes, right? And, and again, this is not you get to decide. This is Jesus gets to weigh in on what you're doing with his money. You did give it to him. You are a steward of time and resources. So what happens when we engage the discipline of simplicity? We push back against the relentless pressure to conform. We push back away from self-understanding by activities and things. 
we are set free to live an open-handed, open-hearted life and also set free to receive. Part of our constant grabbing is that we never want to be dependent on anybody for anything ever. And so doing, we rob the body of Christ from its necessary function. We become less fragmented and distracted and disintegrated and learn freedom. We discover that it is possible to live profoundly and at great depth without masses of things, relationships, activities. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.